Hello and welcome to a rock and roll rabbit hole where I will be digging through my vinyl record collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back and positive fanboy's look at my favourite songs and bits of songs that fall within a different set theme every episode. Choosing from any song part that gives me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It won't be a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy a record, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician and check out some of this amazing art that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people like to share their opinions these days, please do let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I don't ever check this email at gofuckyourself.cock and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Now, nah, seriously, if you do have any suggestions, you can hit me up at suggestions at arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you and check out some new music, some old music, some great YouTube interviews, anything rockin' and entertaining. I love it all. And if I like it, I'll play it and give you a shout-out on a future episode. Also, if you dig what I'm doing, feel free to tell a friend or two. You can also visit the website, www.arockandrollrabbithole.com for Spotify playlists of each episode, past episodes, and some other golden magic. Thanks heaps. Before we get into the episode, there's a few nuggets I want to thank for some nice vibes this week. Tommy Quirk over in Chicago for some early draft listening. Thanks, brother. Laura McTaggart for several things, alerting me to a glaring oversight in last week's Cowbells from Hell, which will force me to do a bonus episode, and also for a super nice review on Facebook. Thanks, pup. Sam Leskovic, Garth Plug, the Sunbury Mumbler. Jose D in California. Thanks, brother. I appreciate the message. Glenn Turtle Howard for the weekly message wrap-up and the nice review on the Apple Podcast app. Kelly Ann McPuppy Claggan, I shall attempt to forgive you for your Spice Girls comment. Your 10-day ban from contacting me starts today. Lisa Crawley in LA for some nice messages. And also Serge in LA for sending through George Hennessy's new song. That was pretty cool. Thanks, brother. I also want to take this opportunity to thank one of my favourite drummers and favourite humans. And his drumming with Body Jar has featured in episode one, three, six, and today's episode two, and that's Ross Hetherington. Roscoe was a huge help in test listening up to episode seven before I released the podcast. Thanks, brother, and apologies again for causing you to miss a day's work a few weeks back. still have a bunch of sticker and pick packs for anyone who rates and reviews the podcast and I'll post to you for free anywhere. I've now had downloads in 60 countries which is amazing. Thank you so much. So please rate and review the podcast. It takes about 30 seconds and it would help me to get this in the ears of more like-minded rock fans. Then just hit me up on Instagram, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast and I'll post them out to you. Thanks again to everyone who's already done that. I appreciate it. 
I was a little shocked at researching this episode. I know I am usually ridiculously upbeat, but I may be a little flat on this one. I knew a lot of the huge artists of our time have changed their names, but in researching this topic, I was startled how many are living a name lie. This is a super long one, so I'm going to split it into two episodes. I actually have a couple of double episodes coming up, which were heaps of fun to do as well. I'm going to list them loosely in the following categories. One, nicknames. Two, obvious to me and famous name changes. Three, that makes sense. And four, holy shit, I had no idea. I will, of course, go off topic, blur the lines and forget I set categories and fall down side rabbit holes as we go. This is, of course, just a stupid way of getting a bunch of absolute gods of the music industry with great songs and great stories into one pointless list for this two-part episode. So strap in, guys. It's a long and shocking list of lies and deceit. Episode 8, Name Changing Game Changers, Part 1. Sting was born Gordon Sumner. Have a listen to Gordon tell the story about how his name change came about. You need to have this ritual where you change something deep inside you to become this other person. I mean, you can be born with the name, you can be born Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson. But for some of us, we need to change our name. And it's, uh, it's not something I did m- myself. It was a name given to me when I was 18. Your parents name you, but they don't really know who you are. Your friends name you, they know exactly who you are. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you're Sting. And it suited me greatly when I was 18. I was very Stingian. Uh, you don't have to be the greatest singer in the world. What you need to be is unique. And whenever you open your mouth, people should go, oh, that's Van Morrison, or oh, that's Bob Dylan, or it's Sting, or it's Bono, or whatever. As soon as you reach that point where you, you have a signature, a unique vocal fingerprint, then that's it. That's it. I was 27 before I had any kind of success. It probably gave me a longer career than I would have had if I'd been successful at 18 or 19 or 20. I'd had a life. I'd had a job with a pension. I'd paid a mortgage. I'd had a kid. All of those things gave me an appreciation of reality. That probably saved my life. Here's a song Gordon wrote, Next to You by The Police. Body Jar are a trustworthy mob, all using their real names. Their original bass player, Grant, incidentally has the nickname of Gordon, but uses Grant on the album credits. Rock and roll serendipity. Here's Body Jar's version of Next To You. Thousand, hey? Quite the swordsman, Bainsey. 
You two are 50% honest guys and 50% bullshit. The Edge is a god, but his real name is David Evans. Bono is Paul Hewson. Have a listen to Paul and David from U2 perform Stuck in a Moment on the Dave Letterman Show. It is definitely a conspiracy as Larry Mullen and Adam Clayton are their real names and they are clearly left out for some weird Illuminati secret handshake bullshit of a name-changing reason. Hear the band talk here about the time they opened for themselves. So much lying in this band. I bet Larry and Adam weren't keen on the idea. And, and this is a group uh, you called the Daltons. Yes. As, uh, correct me if I have any of this wrong. Adam, you look like um, the Dalton sister in the group there. Uh, Betty Dalton. I'm Betty Dalton. Oh, yeah. Betty was your name. They ran out of cowboy hats and gave me a wig. Uh, <laughs> and then this... Uh, this single piece of fabric, which I didn't really know what to do with, so I just wrapped it round and, you know, I discovered cross-dressing. Whatever you did. Very good at it. Did the audience know it was you guys? No. I mean, we, there was about ten people in the front who figured it out, out halfway through the second song, but it was amazing to perform to 25, 30,000 people who were all completely ignoring you. It was, <laughs> it was, really it was supposed funny. to be Los Lobos. Which are a great band, great yeah, next sure. American band. And they had trouble, I think, getting to the show. And we were like, what are we going to do? I think it was Edge's idea. I and, said it as uh, a joke. It was like, <laughs> what about we open for ourselves? And well, I said, let's do it. And the next thing. I, I was Alton Dalton, I remember that. <laughs> what was you? Whoa. Yeah, the Either desert Duke, weed. No, Duke, Duke, Duke Dalton. Duke Dalton's a solid and name. And you're a Luke. Luke, I was Duke like, Duke yeah. and Luke. <laughs> Duke yeah. and Dalton, Betty. Speaking of Dave Evans, that was also the name of the original ACDC singer before being replaced by Bon Scott, whose real name is Ronald Scott. Here's a snippet of both singers fronting ACDC on the band's first single from 1974. Here's Dave. <laughs> Smiling at me real fine That's when I say Hey, 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 hey 
girl? Can I sit next to you, girl? Can I sit next to you, girl? Here's Ronald having a crack. Thank God for Billy Joe Armstrong. Bass player Mike Durnt was born Michael Ryan Pritchard. His stage name was originally a nickname that his friends from grade school gave him as he constantly played air guitar and made a durnt, durnt, durnt noise. Trey Cool, using a French word tray, meaning very, and the English word cool, as a way of saying he was very cool, golden. His nickname was given to him by neighbour Larry Livermore, who was the founder of Lookout Records, one-time home of Green Day. Trey also played in a great band called Sam I Am in 1999, just before joining Green Day. Here's a great Sam I Am song called She Found You. Trey Cool doesn't play on this song, but it mentions Message in a Bottle, which is a Sting song, so in my brain, it fits into the episode. Here's Green Day with the first song of theirs that I ever heard. Such a great opening line to the Dookie album. I declare I don't care no more. Here's Burnout by Green Day. Aussie legend born James Swan but took his stepfather's name in childhood to become Jimmy Barnes. Here's Jimmy talking about those days. I moved from Glasgow where, you know, we didn't have trees where I lived, you know. I'd never played football on grass before and we moving to Australia and, and getting to Elizabeth, it was like football fields everywhere, they had schools, they had shopping centres, playgrounds. When you arrived here you were James Dixon Swan. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, and your father was a former feather, featherweight champion. Yeah, yeah. And your mother? An aspiring partner. <laughs> An aspiring partner for your old man. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. 
you had a very tough childhood. It was a lot of poverty. It was we're really poor. There was a lot of alcohol, a lot of lot of violence. Your father did use your mother as a punching bag, and it, and it's and it, and your mother left. And yeah, but you know what? The thing is, the the, the the worst part of it was my mother used my dad as a punching bag too. They were both. It was just violence. And we, the, everything that they'd learned. The, I can only so look at ourselves as kids and and then try and judge what they were like. And they that's how they'd learned to deal with problems. You know, my mum would turn up with black eyes and. and fat lips and so it was sort of it was sort of a bit more underhanded and a bit a bit darker and finally your mother your mother left yeah yeah and and you felt a bit abandoned I think at the time you kept well, hoping I, she'd I come eight, back I was eight years old that was like I, I was a mummy's boy you know uh, uh, and she you know she my literally my mum but the only time I'd felt really safe in the world is when my mum held me but when she went that was the last sort of glimpse of safety and a glimpse of hope uh, and and it's really it's very strange you know because uh, even when she came back a few years later and she and she married a great man Reg Barnes but even then I've never felt safe again since, from that point well let's just go to Reg Barnes so yeah. she, she did eventually come back and yeah. she, she eventually took you and the kids yeah, your, your brothers and sisters and you you went to live with Reg Reg became your dad really and you took the name Barnes yes so yeah. Jimmy Barnes yeah you know when when there was abuse going on in our house and there was violence going on in our house I've just you know Reg came and plucked me out of obscurity and saved me out of, out of an abyss uh, you know um, even even down to joining cultures I remember you know I, I, when I went to uh, audition for cultures I was like I, I was in Elizabeth I was in gangs I was getting drunk every night we we're just doing drugs we were fighting you know it was really it was very very violent and I, I remember just thinking to myself I've got to get myself out of this how am I going to do it and next thing you know this guy turns up my door and said you know you want to try out for this band you know that band saved my life that interview was done by journalist and television personality Ida Buttrose who was the subject of Cold Chisels great tune from 1980 Ida Midnight Oil's Bones Hillman was born Wayne Stevens. Shame on you, Bones. Okay, let's talk about Guns N' Roses, named after two guys with fake names, Tracy Guns and Axel Rose. Tracy's real name is Tracy Ulrich. Tracy's a great guitar player too, and his band LA Guns also has some name knobs. Their best-known lineup also had Kelly Nichols, born Henry Perrette. Respect for keeping it real to Phil Lewis, Steve Riley and Mick Cripps. Back to Guns N' Roses. Axel was born William Bruce Rose Jr. and raised as William Bruce Bailey. He went by Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey is also the name of a great UK comedian and musician. Or is it? Comedian Bill Bailey was born Mark Robert Bailey. And here's Mark Bailey, as his mum named him. His mama named him Clee. I'm going to call him Clee. Mm-hmm. Singing about texting, probably texting other people who have gone against their parents' wishes and changed their name. Who knows? Honestly, there's more 
evil in the charts than an Al-Qaeda suggestion box, isn't there, really? <laughs> Come on, they're not singing about anything, really. They're not plumbing the depths of human experience. I texted you on a Monday, but you did not get my text till the Tuesday because of a network problem. Texted you on a Wednesday, but I did not know that you'd call Because your SIM card was not correctly installed <laughs> Oh, no, no, no <laughs> You texted me on a Thursday to say that you would meet me at the shopping centre And I texted you back and said, where shall I meet you? And you said, Dixon's But I did not know which Dixon's you meant Or did the one inside the door, or the one further up, like Curry's? These are my worries. You texted me on a Monday to say that it was over, but I did not understand. Because you used predictive text and it was Okay, so back to Guns N' Roses. I will do the obvious ones first. Slash was born Sol Hudson. Duff was born Michael McKagan. Izzy born Jeffrey Isbell. Whatever your name is, Satan, I'm mad. This is how you act when you are out of control. I don't want to ever see my mother have to go through this again. Never, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, I hate you, motherfucker. Okay, the big surprise was Stephen Adler. I've always stuck up for him, but I've just learnt of his deception during this research, as his real name is Michael Coletti. Shame on you, Stephen. Here's Stephen Adler and Slash talking about their school days. Hello, elementary school by my skateboard. Just this kid on a skateboard went flying one day. It fell off and hit my head on the ground. It was a good seven-foot drop, too. The ground came rushing up to meet him at such a pace, I was like... Oh, <laughs> this guy's got to be wounded. And he said, are you all right? And I said, yeah. And I met him in school. My teacher was chasing me around the room and chased me into his room. His teacher was yelling at him. And that was that was right before we did the entire seventh grade together. And then after the class was over, we got together and sang King Todd on the third floor railing of the, of the school, right on the edge of the little railing. And the teacher came out and freaked. And we were friends ever since. That's how we met. And we've been friends ever since. I had a guitar and a little amp, and I invited him over, brought him in my grandmother's bedroom, showed him with one chord and one scale, put my Kiss record on, did all my Ace Freely positions. <laughs> I wish I could sing, I can. Scream real good though. And here's Slash talking to Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones about where his nickname came from. First met Ronnie. Um, all right. Well, this actually goes back to where I first got the name Slash as well. Uh, I had a friend uh, named Matt Cassell in high school, and uh, his dad is an actor named Seymour Cassell. We used to ditch school and hang out at Seymour's, and as long as we would cultivate the weed, it was okay for us to, you know, as long as we did our chores <laughs> and cultivate the pot plants, it was cool to hang out there all the time. Anyway, so. Uh, uh, 
uh, Seymour knew the Stones, and when the Stones would come into town, they'd come by Seymour's house and hang out, and that's where Ronnie and I met. And I was 13, and uh, uh, Ronnie was the one guy in the Stones who was just that outgoing and nice to hang out with us 13, 14 year olds. That was around the time that I first started playing guitar. And uh, Seymour used to call me Slash, and that's where that nickname started. And so that whole sort of like rock thing started developing at that point. And uh, so I used to pay attention to whatever Ronnie was doing, you know, guitar-wise. Some of the YouTube audio is a bit hit and miss in some of the episodes, but you can shoot me an email if you know how to fix it at I am wasting my time sending an email to a dead email address that no one will ever check and no one cares about at rockandrollrabbithole.com. Speaking of comedians and Guns N' Roses, here's Aussie comedian Jim Jeffries telling us a funny story about Axel. One time I was at the Hard Rock and they did this thing, like, it was like a 5,000 seat sort of room, this rock club, and they said to me, my show started at 8, and they said, you have to be off stage by 9.30. Now I have opening acts, my show's about an hour 40, so I was like, I can't do it. I can't be off by 9.30. And they go, there's a band on after you. And I said, I don't give an F what band's on after me. I'm the main thing of the night. I don't care, right? The band can wait. And they went, it's Guns N' Roses. And I went, all right, I'll be off by 9.30, right? <laughs> Exactly. Anyway, so I'm on stage, people have paid good money, so I'm trying to act like my show's running a bit longer than it is. So when I get to like the hour 20 mark, I'm checking my watch like, oh, I've got to be off, I've got to be off, oh, I'll, I'll give you 10 more minutes, I'll give you 10 more minutes. I was lying, I was going to finish on time. And then I said a joke like, ah, f*** it, it's not like Axl Rose has ever left me waiting for a gig, right? Because Axl Rose is renownedly always late for Notorious. his shows. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> Afterwards, I get off stage, I go back to the dressing room. Now, there's an NHL hockey player. I won't say who he is, but he just won the Stanley Cup that year, and he, he was partying. He was backstage with a bag of magic mushrooms, and I, I don't know if they test for that, because it can't be performance-enhancing, surely. <laughs> he thinks he's playing NFL. So I just took a handful of mushrooms and ate those, as you do. I was already drunk. And then afterwards, because I'm a good guy, right, I took photos with all my fans, right, and so there was a lineup of about 400 people taking photos. At about the 30-minute mark, the mushrooms kicked in, and my fans started to look like a bunch of lizards. And, and, and so I was like, nah, nah, I, I, can't, I can't, I can't be doing this anymore. No, I can't do this, I'm and done just now. And like, I was like, oh, Jim, stop siding. I was like scared, and I ran away into a corner. Anyway, I took some more mushrooms. Jim's <laughs> bad advice. Right? And there may, may or may not have been cocaine because there always is. <laughs> there was a lot of, there was a lot of going on, Jimmy. Oh yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, okay. So, so, <laughs> later on, there you go. <clears throat> I, get, I get invited up to this party in someone's suite. I go up and there's just like women having sex on the bar. There's just people having sex, people doing drugs openly and stuff like that. Lizards mostly doing drugs. <laughs> and I'm walking, I'm walking around just spaced out out of my head, just talking to a pole or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> and then this big guy comes up to me and goes, Mr. Rhodes wants to speak to you, right? And I'm like, because the Guns N' Roses concert had already finished. I'd been up at this party for a while. I get taken into a room and Axl Rose is sitting on the edge of a bed and I walk in mashed out of my head. <laughs> and I sit down to, next to Axl Rose and he goes, hey, because um, he does that, he's still sort of that sweet child of mine thing. 
he's, right. he's sneaking in. Still cool, right? But, but he sort of, he comes out, he, and I sit next to him on the bed, and I'm trying to do that thing that you do when you're drunk and you come home and your parents ask if you're drunk, and you're like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So I sat down next to Axel Rose like this. And he goes, hey, man, uh, I um, not a lot of people know that I'm a comedy enthusiast. He said comedy enthusiast. Who says that? Fantastic. I but, love this. But, it, but he's a comedy enthusiast. And he goes, he goes I, I watched your show this evening. It was, it was really great. I really enjoyed it. Um, but it's been completely overblown about how many times I showed up late for gigs. Right? He was offended by me teasing him. And I, I just became like a child and I went, no offence meant, Mr. Rose. I'm sorry, Mr. Rose. Mr. Uh, Rose? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, there was a lot of drugs. It just could have been a red-headed girl. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, wait, wait, anyway. Is, you never met Axel Rose yeah, at I, all. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm there apologising. I'm like, sorry, Mr. Rose. Won't no. happen again, Mr. Rose. Sorry, no, Mr. Rose. And then as I went, I said, can I have a photo? And he's, his bodyguard goes, Mr. Rose doesn't take photos. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so And I went to leave and Axel Rose went, yeah, come on, we can have a photo. And I think we have the photo. Uh, Here it is. That's a guy holding his together. That's what that is. Fuck. Jim Jeffrey's real name is Jeff James Nugent. Will this shit ever end? Here's the end of my favourite GNR song, which featured briefly in episode six, F-Bombs, Rocket Queen.
That's almost the end of the Guns N' Roses lies, but Axel was married to a girl called Erin Everly for a few minutes in the early 90s. Her dad was Don Everly from the Everly Brothers, born Isaac Everly. Hear Isaac singing the great All I Do Is Dream with his brother Phil. Phil is good to go with a clean name. John Bon Jovi just changed his last name spelling from B-O-N-G-O-V-I to two-worded Bon Jovi that we know, and he dropped his H out of the word John. And his bandmates, Tico Torres, born Hector Samuel Juan Torres, and David Bryan, born David Bryan Rashbaum. All not too bad, just a pass. Respect to the two guys who are no longer within the band for keeping it real. Richie Sambora and Alec John Such. Both out of the band now, I'm just saying. Here's their huge cockrock power ballad which you can hear Richie's backing vocals slaying John's. I'll be there for you, Bon Jovi. Jersey buddies Skid Row also have a few name swappers in the ranks. Dave the Snake Sabo, Rachel Bolan was born James Richard Southworth, Scotty Hill was born Scott Lawrence Mulhill, Sebastian Bark is actually Sebastian Bjerk, B-I-E-R-K, and respect goes out to Rob Afuso. Aerosmith, their main two men are living the lie too. Steven Tyler, is actually Stephen Victor Tallarico and Joe Perry, Joseph Anthony Pereira. The other three guys have clean sheets. Sleep well, fellas. Next up, we have the drummer from one of the greatest bands from the 70s and 80s, Pick Withers from Dire Straits. His nickname has been subject to some variations in spelling. During his time with a band called Spring, he was billed as Pick Withers, P-I-Q-U-E, He's billed as P-I-C 
pick Withers on his appearance on the second Brewers Droop album. Brewers Droop is a great pub band name, and it's the magical band where Mark Knopfler, whose real name is clearly Mark Knopfler, and Pick met when they were both in the band briefly in 1973. Here's a super short and great titled song by Brewers Droop, If You See K Tonight. Everything gonna be alright if you see K tonight. Everything gonna be alright if you see K tonight. Well, a nickel is a nickel and a dime is a dime. If you give K a dollar, you give a good time. Everything gonna be alright if you see K tonight. Just give it a screw you if you see K tonight. Reminds me a bit of this super funny podcast outro. Tom, Tom and Bert. One goes topless while the other wears a shirt. Tom tells stories and Bert's the machine. There's not a chance in hell that they'll keep it clean. Here's what we call Two Bears on Cave. No scripts, a bit of booze, amateur partology, dirty jokes, raunchy. Here's Dire Straits with one of my absolute favorite songs of all time Romeo and Juliet. I love struck Romeo. Sing the streets of serenade. Laying everybody low with a love song that he made. Find the street light, steps out of the shade. Said something like, You and me, babe, how about it? Juliet says, Hey, it's Romeo. He nearly gave me a heart attack. He's underneath the window, just singing, Hey, like my boyfriend's back. Shouldn't come around here singing up at people like that. Anyway, what you gonna do about it? Juliet, the dice was loaded from the start, and I bet many you exploded in my heart, and I forget, I forget the movie song. When you're gonna realize it was just that the time was wrong. Richard Starkey is, of course, Ringo Starr. I can't say a bad word against this legend. And here's Ringo taking the lead vocals on the classic Little Help From My Friends. And another subtle name change to the one and only Billy Shears of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Tom's still sound incredible after nearly 50 years. Here's another great version of the song by Joe Cocker, born John Cocker. Sneaky name change fucker. Shit, this one would have been right at home in, in episode one. Great building intros.
What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song. I will try not to sing out of key. Yeah. Oh, baby, how Now we get to category two, obvious to me and famous name changes. Another party's over, and I'm not cold sober. Baby left me for somebody new. So come and get me Let me Get in that sinking feeling That says my heart is on an all-time That was my Melancholy Blues by Queen. Obviously, Freddie Mercury is not his real name. It's Farouk Balsari. Here, Elton John tells a sad story about Freddie in the last days of his life. But the most poignant thing I can say about Freddie is that when he was sick and he was dying, I used to go around and see him. I was one of the few people that did, and I couldn't stay there for very long. I stayed there for about an hour at a time. So I found it was so painful, so traumatising to watch him, and he was so brave. And... Um, he was still spending money and buying things at auction right up to the point that he died, which was, I thought was hilarious um, and the kind of thing I probably would do. Um, but at that Christmas, after the, the Christmas, just shortly after he died, I got a present delivered to me in a sheet and I collect Henry Scott Tuke paintings um, and it was a message, it was a painting by Henry Scott Tuke from Freddie saying, Dear Sharon... <laughs> hope you love this love Melina which was you know I, I just completely broke down and to think of me as he was so ill and um, he wanted to give that to me uh, for Christmas and he died about a month beforehand and it was quite a choker that was the kind of person he was Alton's real name is Reginald Kenneth Dwight 
Here's a great 80s song of his called I Guess That's Why They Call It The Blues that he wrote with an honest man, Bernie Torben. Don't wish it away Don't look at it like it's forever Between you and me I could honestly say That things can only get better harmonica on I guess that's why they call it the blues was played by Stevie Wonder who was born Stevland Hardaway Judkins. When he was four his mother divorced his father and changed her name back to Lula Hardaway and later changed her son's surname to Morris partly because of relatives. Stevie Wonder has retained Morris as his legal surname since that day. So much deception. Here's Lionel Richie confirming that Stevie is a liar and I tend to believe Lionel Richie because his real full name is Lionel Brockman Ritchie Jr. I'm going to tell you something. I, I've been spending my whole life with him thinking he can see. I know he can see. <laughs> he can I, I, mean, I thought you he, said see. No, he can see. Listen, uh, the story I tell that's the funniest, I went to his house. He says, want to hear a new song? I've got it in the car. Come on, go with me. We go out to the car. He says, you sit on the passenger side, I'll sit on the driver's side. He goes in, he cranks the car up, he puts the tape in, right? And then he does this. <laughs> and starts driving back down the driveway. No, sir. And I screamed, said, Stevie, what are you doing? And he said, ah, got you, didn't I? But <laughs> Here's basketball legend Shaquille O'Neal, his real name, confirming the rumor. In a building together on Wilshire Boulevard. Talk to me, wait, all right. Okay. You lived in a building right. with Stevie. With Stevie, okay? Right. You used to have to drive to the bottom mm -hmm. underneath to park your car. Uh huh. I'm coming to the first floor that day. Mm -hmm. It goes down because when I got in, I didn't press the button. So it went down first. Stevie got in. I'm standing in the corner. I didn't say nothing. And he looked over and he's like, What up, Big Diesel? And he turned his head. <laughs> Hit his button and got off. <laughs> I mean, I, let, let's, Come on. I, I'm telling you what happened. I don't know if I was smelling from practice that day, but he just turned around. What's up, Diesel? Hit his button. Yeah. Stevie, two months ago, I said, look, Steve, I get too much motherfucking flack over this impression. I don't like doing it. I ain't doing the shit no more. Stevie said, well, I feel that. I said, shut the fuck up. But you got to cut Steve off quick, because if he get a roll going, he'll talk your ears off. You ever see Steve win a Grammy and come up and give one of them long-ass acceptance speeches? Saying the winner is Stevie won, and Stevie be talking about, and I'd like to say that all the people in the world today, God's children, and, and they would just take the motherfucking award and get the fuck out. 
Because if you don't say nothing, the credits would be rolling and Stevie going, and I'd like to think. I'd be in the car, so just shut the fuck up, Stevie. I'm telling you, you're a genius and all that shit, but you my boy, man. We hanging. I mean, like, it's nice and all that shit, but I don't, I don't appreciate all the flack. Personally, the piano and the singing, I told you I feel about singing. I ain't impressed. You want to impress me? Take the wheel for a little while, motherfucker. Finally, here's the awesome Stevie explaining what really happened to his sight. You were pronounced blind at birth due to not having enough oxygen in your incubator when you were born? Uh, Retroventral fibroplasia, it's when uh, there was a, a condition that happened with a lot of children who were born in the early 50s, late 40s, where the oxygen, uh, was the temperature of it, um, uh, was, I believe, too, too warm, or it was not the right temperature, and so it caused for <clears throat> them to either um, lose the optic nerve and some died from this. Here's Stevlan with his great groove, higher ground. Now we'll have a quick listen to the Red Hot Chili Peppers covering Higher Ground. Flea's real name is Michael Bulzari, and respect goes out to his drummer, Chad Smith, for hanging tough with his real name, Chad Gaylord Smith. Flea was born in Melbourne, Australia, and briefly played in Jane's Addiction with another name liar, Perry Farrell, born Peretz Bernstein. Here's Flea and Dave Navarro, real name Dave Navarro, talking about Peretz. First time I saw Perry was like in 85, and he was a singer in a band called Psycom and they were playing out at this party in the desert at like three in the morning and everyone was on mushrooms, just laying around in the dirt and, and, this, and, and they came out and they started playing. And the band was pretty good, but 
The singer was just like, I never saw anything like it in my life. I couldn't believe it. It was, uh, I was like, who is this freaky dude? Perry's one of these guys who's really frustrating because he comes up with these ideas and you're like, I don't know. And he's, he insists, no, it's gotta be this way. It's gotta be this way. And you're like, okay, and, you know, and he convinces you that it's gotta be a certain way. And then you know what happens? He's right <laughs> every fucking time. And you're like, God damn it, Farrell. Here's Perrette's doing his thing on Pets with his other band, Porno for Pyros. This is a great song. With some soft cowbell action that would have been at home in episode seven. We chatted about Farouk Mercury before, but Queen drummer Roger Taylor has dropped the hyphen and the Meadows from his last name, Roger Meadows Taylor. Not lying, but just a little misleading, maybe for tax purposes. Here's Roger's vocal soloed from Bohemian Rhapsody. No relevance to this episode, but great. One more hyphen last name dropper, as was my family a few generations back. Here's the great darkness bass player Frankie Poulain, who was born Francis Giles Poulain Patterson. I forgive you Frankie, your dress sense and lack of bass solos more than makes up for the name change. Bless you. Here's Frankie and Justin discussing their clothes and Frankie's favourite dressed artist, also a name dropper. A tiny bit more rock and roll serendipity. Roger Taylor's son, Rufus, is the current drummer with The Darkness. I think it's to every band. Even bands that try to dress down and look uh, scruffy or... I'd say all bands are self-conscious too. Definitely, too. I mean, there's, every band see. in the world has got stuff that they wear when they go on stage, for sure. They've got like a stage, even if it's jeans and a t-shirt, they've got a stage jeans and t-shirt. And even if they pretend that it doesn't matter, they're definitely, definitely lying. I think the key is that we enjoy it. We really enjoy uh, dressing up on stage and having fun with it, you know? So it's the same approach we take to the music as well. I was actually going to say that I'd like to be a stylist if I wasn't a musician, to be honest. That'd be... I don't think I'd make a lot of money in it, but I'd certainly enjoy it. I would say Prince, Dirty Mind, when he um, was really desperate, his first two albums, Hands On Well, and he came out with this album, which was uh, really homemade. He played everything on the albums, and he went on stage wearing girls' panties and, uh, and uh, suspenders, and I think a kind of leather jacket and a top singing in a falsetto voice. I thought that was uh, cool because it was courageous. It was like soulful, courageous, uh, sexy, dangerous, and um, ridiculous. Um, and and that's how we started doing it, wasn't it? It was more yeah. out of desperation. It's kind of like, a, yeah. you know, you get to a certain point 
and then the, the ball of momentum that your band has stops on a ledge and then you just got to find a way of shoving it over and um, you know we were doing lots and lots of shows and then I started wearing cat suits <laughs> you know I think it's sort of um, it's no coincidence that it kind of gathered momentum again after that here's the darkness with love on the rocks with no ice So Frankie from the Darkness mentioned Prince. He has his own category of having a great first name that sounds like a stage name but isn't, dropping his last name and going for a few years by an unpronounceable symbol, later copyrighted as Love Symbol Number 2, and also a few years as the artist formerly known as Prince or just the artist. Here's that guy playing one of my favourites when he was just plain old Prince, the heartbreakingly awesome Purple Rain with one of the greatest 10 second gaps between the first line of the verse and the second line of the verse ever. Another 80s god is Daryl Hall, H-A-L-L, -L. born Daryl Hall, H-O-H-L. I give him a pass as he is truly great. Nobody really knows what John Oates does or brings to the party, but I can tell you that he didn't change his name. Full respect to John William Oates. Score one for Oates. Here's John talking about one of their biggest hits, Man Eater. It was really kind of a hangout for models and actors and, you know, and musicians and groovy downtown Greenwich Village types. And one night I was sitting in there with a bunch of friends and this gal came in and she was absolutely gorgeous. And she sat down at the table and she kind of, her energy kind of took over the, the room basically. And then she started to speak and she had the, the most disgusting and foul vocabulary <laughs> on any human being. And her great beauty was in stark contrast to her 
horrible vocabulary. And I sat there looking at her across the table, and I went, wow. And she would like chew you up. That's exactly what I thought. Wow. And then I went, okay. My songwriter antenna went, you know, and then I went back, uh, and then I said, she, she's, a, she's, she's like a man eater. She would like, and, and it all started coming together. I wrote it as, I wrote it originally as a reggae song. Oh wow! And I can totally see that. Yeah, it was like, oh, here she come. Right. Uh -huh. Watch out, boy, she's gonna chew you up. And it sounds really cool like that. Um, and then I got with Daryl, and he was like, no. <laughs> He was like, how about this? Gong, 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 gong. He did the piano thing. And I said, yeah, that's really cool. And that's the way we went with it. Trent Reznor was born Michael Trent Reznor and three-time Grammy award-winning Michael Stipe from REM was born John Michael Stipe. Here's Michael Stipe telling a story about using their songs in politics and him telling someone to be quiet at a Patti Smith gig. Okay. Because not to bring anybody down but he is using REM songs at his rallies oh, yeah. yes, despite yes. your objections. Is there really is there really nothing you can do? <laughs> I, hope, I wish that would help, but is there is there nothing you can do to stop it's, him? It's a licensing uh, problem, and there's nothing we can do except respectfully request that they not use. Why respectfully? Do you have to be respectful? Because about we're it? because we take the high road. My my former band and I. Yeah. Uh, that's. Who is it that said when they go low, we go high? Uh, Michelle Obama did. She's cool. She is cool. She's very cool. Um, Easier but, to say than do. That reminds me, actually, of uh, um, a show that I once went to uh, in the late 90s here in New York City at Joe's Pub. You know, the, sure. it's a very small Downtown, yeah. venue, and it was um, right when Patti Smith uh, had come back to performing uh, uh, as a musician, and she agreed to do this benefit where these people were doing like three or four songs each. 
And so I went to support her. I showed up late. I was with my friend Shanti. We got there late. It was standing room only. And so they took us to the VIP overflow booth, which I'm sure you've been a, in one of those before. That's where I live, baby. <laughs> where I live. And, and we were the only people at the table. And, and, um, and the show started, and this performer was on stage. And then this uh, businessman, this kind of big, loud guy came in with a, with, a, with a date and they brought him also to the VIP overflow booth and he was sat next to us and so uh, Shanti was between me and this couple and he was talking to her and he kept talking to her through the performance and it was you know it's a tiny you know Joe's Pub is a very small room and people were turning around and it was very disruptive and, and rude frankly and that performer came off Patti Smith went on stage she started her first song. She was nervous. She started her first song, and he kept talking. And I was like, excuse me, that's my friend, and you have to stop talking. You can't, talk. you can't stop. What are you doing? Shut up. I said, shut up. The guy got up and left. He walked out. He took his date, who he was obviously trying to pick up, and left the club. And do you know who that guy was? Donald J. Trump. Here's R.E.M.'s Man on the Moon off their huge album, Automatic for the People, which John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin did all the string arrangements. talks about how she became the great Tina Turner. When we were talking alone last week, so if you don't want to talk about it, you just tell me you don't want to talk about it. And I ask you, do you remember the first time I kid you? And you told me the first time. Do you feel comfortable telling people yeah, that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We didn't talk about it. When I recorded the song, A Fool in Love, I took it to New York, Juggy Mary of Sue Records. He said, why don't you keep it with the girl's voice? I like it. And then I, you know, he hadn't considered that. So then uh, Ike's problem was he was a musician that always wanted to be a star and was a star locally, but never internationally to travel. So he then changed the name to Ike and changed my name to Tina because if I ran away, Tina was his name. It was patent, as you call it. So, so, so he could own you. So he could own me. Are you smart? He was an educated smart man, but he has a common sense and a, and a really strategy and con. So he owned you? Yes. He owned so we came back. I didn't even know that that was the name on the record. And so I started to feel something. 
and he started to touch me. I really didn't like it because that was my brother. That was my friend. Actually, maybe I wouldn't have been here today if we had not, if I had not gotten a relationship with him because we were very close as friends. So you weren't even his girlfriend. That's Ooh, the point I no, want everybody to No, know. it was just control. I had sex with everybody around him, Oprah. Everybody's wife. So then I said to, to the woman that was helping him at the time, I said, I don't, I don't want to do this. I knew how Ike was. He had beat, yeah. he always fought. He always fought women, men, everybody. And my instincts told me I was moving into something that wasn't going to be good. And so she went in and told Ike. Yeah, so then he said, she said, Ike want to see you. So I went into his room and he started that. He had a, a sick way, I found. And he started it with, what are you trying to do to me? Yeah. And then the next thing, he would pick up something. Because, you know, if you play guitar, you can't fight and play the guitar. So he always fought with something. Yeah. And then against the, against the head, always the head, with a shoe stretcher. And I had never the been wooden beaten. The wooden shoe a stretcher? A wooden shoe stretcher. Yeah. And it really hurt. But I was still trying to figure out what was happening. Mm -hmm. And then, so then, the, the beating came. You know, yes, you are, you'd like all the rest. And I was down by then, really starting to cry. And then he said, get in bed. Oh, that was really awful. Have sex after the, I, no, I hate you. How can I let you, how can we make love now if it's love? Yeah. And went through that. And then I laid there with a swollen head, just having sex, feeling like you have really gotten yourself into something. I know this is a daggy song, but I love it. No introduction needed. I call you, I need you, my heart's on fire. You come to me, come to me wild and wild. You come to me. Here's a bit of Tina and Jimmy Barnes' version of Simply the Best. Guitar solo instead of a sax solo. Respect, West Side. These next guys spin a spiderweb of family deceit. I don't know where to start with these two clowns. The dad was born Robert Allen Zimmerman. Whatever, change your name. But when you have a kid that takes your last name that's a stage name, things are getting out of hand. 
12 Grammy Awards between them. 10 for Dad, 2 for The Sun, both great. Here's Bob Dylan's son, Jacob Dylan, with his band The Wallflowers, with my favourite song off their excellent Bringing Down the Horse album from 1996, Three Marlenas. I'm wondering if one of these Marlena bitches have changed their names too. Somebody's bed She's gone and dyed her hair red She only went and did what she did Cause he would drive her home then There's lipstick on her new dress She hadn't even paid yet But it doesn't matter where the money went she paid rent next guy was a super hard one to find, but my rock story guru, Ross Hetherington, assures me that this guy's name is Terry Gonk. I'll say that again, Terry Gonk. Here's the man that burned the most research time for this episode, Richard Clapton, Terry Gonk, with his great Girls on the Avenue. Thanks, Scope. Girls on the Avenue Strolling by with a rosebud smile They're all dressed up to kill Lean on the windowsill Looking your way with eyes of fire Girls on the Avenue 
Rick James was born James Ambrose Johnson Jr. Never mind who you thought I was, I'm Rick James, bitch! Thanks for that, James. Graham Parsons was born Ingram Cecil Connor III. Blind Malin's Shannon Hoon was born Richard Shannon Hoon. Elliot Smith was born Stephen Paul Smith. Now we have a few bands that are full or almost full of filthy name liars. Let's start with these two imposters. Motley Crue's Mick Mars was born Robert Allen Deal and Nikki Six was born Frank Carlton Serafino Farina Jr. Speaking of imposters, Nikki had a guy running around in the 80s claiming he was hired by the band to replace Nikki. In 1988, Motley Crue got hit with a lawsuit by a guy called Matthew Tripp. Tripp claimed that Six was hospitalised in 1983 after a car crash involving drugs and he had been hired as Six's doppelganger. But he looks nothing like our main man. The lawsuit was regarding the loss of royalties from his time in Motley Crue and the case was not closed until 1993 when Tripp dropped his charges and disappeared from public view. Tripp died in December 2014 at the age of 51 of organ failure after years of heavy drinking. The last two Motley guys aren't as bad as Frank and Robert as they have just omitted a name. Tommy Lee was born Tommy Lee Bass, or Tommy Lee Bass, not sure. And Vince Neil was Vince Neil Wharton. Here's my favorite song off the band's great second album, Shout at the Devil. This is Danger by Motley Crue. by Motley Crue was always a little bit of a mystery song to me because I had a blank tape recorded with Too Fast For Love on one side and all the songs from Shout At The Devil except for the last track, Danger. I also had a weird guitar tablature book that had Danger in it, so I kind of worked out how to play it and sing it but had never heard the song. When I finally got a copy of Danger after a few years, it really blew my mind as it sounded so good, especially the guitar solo. I remember it opened my mind up to a few melodical ideas because it really reminded me of Mick Mars's guitar solo on the song On With The Show, just in a much higher register. Have a listen to On With The Show solo here. And Mick's melody idea in Danger. 
here's another two super influential bands that are chock full of name changes. Ten members have been in this band since the early 70s. Eight of them are name-lying turds. Kiss. Gene Simmons. Hiam Witz. I think it's pronounced that. Paul Stanley. Stanley Burt Eisen. Ace Fraley is Paul Daniel Fraley. And Australians, it is Ace Fraley, not Ace Freely. Hi, this is Ace Fraley. Fraley, Fraley, Fraley. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Cornflakes, 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 cornflakes. Pathetic. You never win, Vivian. Why not? There's only nine words. Cornflakes. Peter Chris is George, Peter, John, Chris Cuola, Eric Carr, Peter Charles Caravello. Mark St. John was born Mark Leslie Norton. He passed away in 2007 and you should Google his demise. Brutal. Finney Vincent is Vincent John Cassano. Eric Singer was born Eric Doyle Messinger. These next guys had eight members in the band in their 22-year career. All of them were surname swappers. That band is the Ramones. Here's their classic Blitzkrieg Bop. Two other early huge seminal punk acts from the 70s also had evil deceivals in their ranks. The Sex Pistols. Johnny Rotten finally came to his senses and reverted back to John Lydon. As a side rabbit hole, I send respect to John Mellencamp for dropping the cougar at the height of his career. Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols was obviously born with a different name and that name was John Simon Ritchie. Iggy Pop is another obvious name swapper and he was born James Osterberg. The Clash's Joe Strummer was born John Meller. Here's The Clash with the great London Calling. So that's all I can cope with for now for part one of my rabbit hole dig on the great name changes in rock and roll. Part two will drop next Monday, Australian time. If there's anyone you think I should add into next week's continuation, please email me at part two was recorded months ago at the same time as part one new Muppet at hotpants.com forward slash poop and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Please take a minute to rate and review the podcast on the Apple app. It really does help. And hit me up on Instagram, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast for a free sticker and guitar pick pack. Or just hit me up and say hi and send me some rock nuggets. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Cheers. Respect.